Uh, this morning, our main text is going to be in John chapter 4, uh, and we're going to be in verses 1 through 26. If you want to go ahead uh, and turn there, we'll get started in just a minute. But before we do, uh, I want to go ahead this morning and just kind of show my cards. I'm going to go ahead and just lay it out there and let you know what my uh, goal is today, all right? And so the title of my message today is called Grace for the Wound. Grace for the Wound. And really today, my goal is to just show you the unfiltered truth of God's grace given through Jesus for my life and for your life. Many of you probably have seen the picture before, um, and I I didn't get a chance to find the picture. um, But there's there's this picture of Jesus, and uh, he's got like his hand on his stomach here, and his his hand's doing this, this weird thing like this right here, right? And it's a little odd of a picture. Um, he's oddly white for a Jew. He has the, this feathered hair and this glow behind him. And, and almost has this ethereal uh, kind of look to him, right? This otherworldly, up above everything in my life and your life. And to be quite honest, uh, he doesn't look very helpful. This picture of Jesus doesn't look very, very helpful. And because it just seems a little too soft, right, for the struggle, for the difficult world that you and I live in each and every day, right? And so I believe that picture is hard because we see pictures like that, and it depicts characteristics of Jesus that we have many times a hard time relating with and kind of putting on the ground and saying, man, I don't really know. I feel like Jesus is so far above and otherworldly, above all of my problems that, that, that he's not really down in the dirt with me, right? And so today I want to preach to you about God being with us, God being with us. I believe that many times we struggle to comprehend grace because we have a hard time picturing Jesus not in that way, but in the grime and the grit and the blood and the mud that you and I live in, that struggle that we live in every day. We see Jesus is so pretty and perfect and so far removed uh, from us. And we see in these gospels that Jesus has come and he's establishing a new covenant a new kingdom, a new way that is so different from the Old Testament ways. He's coming to not abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And so as we start seeing Jesus comes on the scene, and they're so the, the people are having such a hard time relating because of the only way that they've ever knew is this performance-based, merit-driven salvation that they know, that they know. So I've got a couple of just supporting scriptures for you uh, to kind of set everything up before we start in John chapter 4 today. Uh, The first one is in Luke chapter 5, verses 30 through 32. And we find Jesus has just had an interaction with Levi, which was a tax collector. Now, I don't know how to really describe to you what the job would be today uh, of just how awful and how heinous a tax collector was viewed in those days. But it was terrible. All I can tell you is that the reason that everybody hated them so much, they were hated so much by their countrymen, was absolutely justified because of how terrible they were to their own people. Right? And so we look in verse 30. It says, But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? 
Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, Jesus said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And lastly, in John chapter 3, verse 17, just before this chapter, John 3, 16 gets all the fanfare and all the press, but it's John 3, 17 that should get you excited this morning. And it says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. So all these things are lining up to try to help us to begin to understand as we see John, as he's writing this, kind of deconstructing the religiosity of the day. So that's where we kind of find our scripture. And we're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to read 26 verses. Now don't worry, it's not going to take as long as you would think, okay? Let's start together in John chapter 4, verse 1. As we gaze and take a front row seat today into this radical grace that Jesus is talking about. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. Now, let me stop right there. That's going to be really important. If you write in your Bible or on your device, highlight that, that he had to go through Samaria because it's going to be very important here in just a few minutes when we dig in. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. Now, I'm assuming many of you, no matter what your exposure is to Christianity and how long you've been following Jesus, you've probably in your life had some thoughts about Jesus, right? And I don't know what your first thought about Jesus when I say, hey, what's, your first, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about Jesus? No matter what it is, I bet it's not verse 6 where he's weary, bent over, <laughs> tired from the journey and looking for a chair to sit down in. I know that feeling. We've been to Disney World with two kids. I said, Lord, please, Lord, be faithful. Just somewhere cool and shade to sit down. But that's what we find. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Now look at that parentheses. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. Uh, I don't have a husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. 
The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is coming from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in, the, in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, we love you today. God, we thank you for your word. And God, we thank you for your faithfulness and for meeting us where we are. God, I just pray that your spirit would move in this place today, God, that it would be your words that go forth, and God, that we would, uh, Lord, th that we would accept and apply what you have to say to us today to our hearts. Change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let's start. Um, so we see uh, Jesus is going on a journey, and I said, you know, in verse 4 is where we're going to start today, uh, is that it says that... Um, he had to go through Samaria. Well, see, there's some problems with that sentence. Because he didn't have to go through Samaria. In fact, in those days, Jews hated Samaritans so much that they were viewed as the half-breeds. Um, the, the, they were the leftovers, the people that, you know, that, that's where they, they, they sent everybody that was socially not acceptable and unclean, and they just put them all there, and the Jews looked down on them. In fact, many times in scriptures we see, in scripture we see that when people are traveling from Jerusalem, uh, from Judea to Galilee, that there were a multitude of routes that Jesus could have taken. It's not like there was only one way and it was like, well, we've got to go through this awful place. So that's not true. He did not have to go through Samaria. In fact, um, somebody, of uh, a Jew of his age, would have taken a different route. We also look at it and say no one was, was making him. No one made him go through there. Nobody said, hey, you've got to make a pit stop in Samaria. You have to go through here. So why did Jesus go through Samaria? Well, see, I believe it was because Jesus had a divine appointment. He had a divine appointment. And him being filled with the Holy Spirit and compelled by the Holy Spirit followed that compulsion, right? And sometimes we feel that way. We feel led by the Holy Spirit to do something, uh, to help someone, to speak into someone's life. But really, that's up to us to follow that compulsion. And Jesus gives us a great example here of going and following that compulsion and following uh, into, into Samaria. Now, after we get there, the next nine verses are very significant about when he meets the woman and as they begin to have a conversation, just he and her in this place. So let me give you just a little bit of a background um, because this, this is the first time that we find Jesus really going down into the brokenness of the world. 
Okay, the brokenness of the world that God created that was supposed to be without sin and that we would rule and dominion over that was fractured and broken in the garden. And he is making his way as flesh and bone into that brokenness. So we find that John talks about, and he says, this is the Lamb of God okay, who comes to forgive the sins of the world. So Jesus is, is beginning to try to change their thought process where he says, listen, I'm the Lamb of God, the perfect Lamb to forgive the sins of the world. Because in that day, all they did was they had this sacrificial system where you would have to continually take and sacrifice lambs to make atonement for your sin. And Jesus said, I've come to fulfill that completely where you don't have to continually do that. That my sacrifice is complete for you. We also see that Jesus, uh, he comes to bring new wine. And he's, uh, he brings the new wine of the kingdom over and above the Jewish laws of purification. And he's saying that I'm greater than, I'm, I'm better than. And he, you know, makes himself a permanent person on every list for every wedding, right? He's going to get an invite from here going forward uh, for every wedding. We also see where Jesus goes into the temple Right? And he says, hey, listen, this, this uh, spiritual consumerism that you all are practicing it is not uh, what Christianity is all about. Okay? And, he, and he comes face to face with some of the religious leaders and he talks about the temple of God and him being the temple. So it introduces for us that, that, there's, uh, that, that Jesus is changing and saying, listen, you don't have to go to the temple. We don't have to still today make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem each and every year to, find, to get forgiveness and atonement for sins, that via uh, the Holy Spirit, that in our soul dwells the Holy Spirit, that a new covenant is coming. So Jesus is setting up all of these things to say, I'm doing a new, a new thing. Then we see Jesus with Nicodemus, right? And he talks about this new birth, that the new birth doesn't come from um, willpower or from a family lineage, but that we are all going to be adopted. Jews and non-Jews, people of every nationality, will be accepted and adopted as the sons and daughters of God. Now we find Jesus offering living water at Jacob's well. Now let me give you a little bit of a background here about Jacob's well and this area so that you kind of understand the importance of what Jesus is saying here when he's kind of dissing the water at the well, okay? So several uh, really important things happened in this area throughout Scripture for God's people. I'm going to give you a couple examples. Abram made his first sacrifice to God in this area. God first gave his promise of land to his people in this area. Abraham's servants met Rebekah, who would be Isaac's future wife. Jacob met his future wife, Rachel. Moses met Sipporah, his future wife. And all the single people in the house going, where's this, where's this well? How close, we, how close are we to the... I mean, can we get there? You know, sounds like the happening place. That's where, where I need to be, you know. To meet somebody. So when Jesus shows up and he says, you don't want that water, I got living water, it kind of takes her back. And that's why the woman is saying, hey, wait a minute, our, our father Jacob gave us this well. Are you, are you greater than he? She doesn't really understand what's going on. 
And as Jesus begins to uh, lay that out, and he's saying, living, says, listen, the living water that I offer to you is complete. Okay, the grace that I am extending to you, right? Because he's doing what he's just done over and over again, saying, listen, I'm trying to uh, deconstruct this idea that you just have to continually keep going back over and over and over and over again, that I'm come to complete the grace and the mercy and the salvation that God wants for you, that I have here, I'm come to complete it, and he's, but he's having a hard time you know, creating this mindset in these people. And here's what's stunning. She says, yes, verse 15. She says, yes, I want it, right? I mean, easiest conversion ever, right? Don't you wish it was that easy? I mean, she's like, I, I want it. I want that living water. Where do I get that? I don't want to have to keep coming back to this well. It's hard work. I'm tired of walking. You know, play the song, just as I am. Altar call, bring it down. Put the name in the book. Let's get her on the books. And Jesus stops and says, you want living water? She says, yeah, I, I want the living water. Now, the stunning thing is what happens next. If I were to say to you, if we hadn't read it, and I said, hey, guess what Jesus says next? Guess what he says next? You would not think... He automatically goes, boom, for the wound that she has and says, go get your husband. Go get, go get your husband. What? I don't, I don't have a husband. You're right you don't. You're right you don't. The next five verses I would call the wound and the worry. And this is where we're going to get into the meat of our text today. Okay? The wound and the worry. Go get your husband. You want living water? I want living water. Great, go get your husband. Uh, I, don't, I don't have one. Yeah, I know you don't have one. Actually, you've had five, and the guy that you're with now is not your husband. Now, can we just say that just got real awkward quickly? You know, <laughs> you know, you're saying, yes, Lord, I want Jesus. Well, let's talk about this. Oh, oh, oh all right, okay. Yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's go there. Let's talk about this. Now, we don't have a lot of backstory on why she had had five husbands and and the one that she's with is, is not her husband now, right? But we know it's irregular. Obviously, from the text, we know it's irregular. Maybe, we don't know, maybe she'd been widowed five times, which would explain why the six guy's like, nah, <laughs> the nature of our relationship is going to be just a little bit different. <laughs> I mean, I don't care how fine she is. If there's five dead dudes that said I do, <laughs> nah, nah, <laughs> it's not happening. We don't know if there was adultery there. But what we do know is that it is irregular and it hurts. There's, there's a wound here that Jesus is, is wanting to address. There's some, kind of, there's some kind of shame or something in her that is causing her to come to the well at noon. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but noon is not the time that you go to the well. You would go to the well very early in the morning in the cool of the day. But for some reason, she was wanting to avoid. There was some, there was some shame or something that, that, that caused her to kind of retract and be a recluse and, 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 not, and not to lean in, but to lean back. And she doesn't really want to talk with, with Jesus. 
about what's going on. But you see, Jesus is not willing to accept from her just some easy believism. Hey, you want living water? Yeah, I want living water. Okay, boom, here you go. Have a great day. Have a nice life. Attend Sunday school. You know? No. That's not what he does. He's not willing to do that. Jesus knows that there is, there's a wound there, and he says, listen, we need to talk about it. I know it hurts. I know it's painful, but we need to talk about the wound that you're experiencing. And the reality is all of us in this broken world have been hurt, we've been wounded, and we've learned to self-defend and self-protect around that wound. Right? Where we don't, we, we, we don't let people in because, because it, it hurts. And some wounds, some wounds are from our own poor decisions. Some wounds are from the poor decisions of others. And you know, some wounds are just because this is a broken world. A hurtful, broken world that we live in. But nevertheless, we live in this, in this broken world. Now, I want to give you an example of, of kind of what I'm talking about, about this being a broken world, just to give you an idea about the power of, of uh, principalities and, and those types of things that we have to put on the full armor of God each and every single day, right? So many of you guys who've probably been uh, parents before, right, there comes a time in every child's life, right, where you need to have some sort of talk with them, right? And I'm not talking about the, uh, the talk, you know, where the, they sit down and they're a, man, they're a boy and they stand up a man, right? That one where you say, son, listen, you have got to stop eating all the food in this house. There are other people that live here and we feel like we are in uh, constant uh, competition with you for the food. Your little brother, he's scrawny, right? He needs to eat. Not, not that talk. But the talk where you say, I'm calling you up, son, I'm calling you up into manhood. Daughter, I'm calling you up into to womanhood. And, and, and we begin to speak the things of God over them, right? And I think sometimes we do things with the best of intentions, but sometimes maybe they're the wrong thing, right? Because I wouldn't want you to raise your hand, but I want to ask you this question. How many times you've raised that child up you remember when they were first born, they were so sweet and so innocent, right? They were so kind. They did all these wonderful things. And then somewhere along the way, you got shocked by the sins of your child. Can I tell you this morning, you should not ever be shocked. You should never be surprised by the sins of your children. Don't be fooled. Because I want you to think of your capacity for sin. I want you to think of the sins that you've committed in your life, the things that are terrible, awful, that you wouldn't want anybody to know about. Right? And so, so, so what we do is, with the best of intentions, we don't want our kids to make those same mistakes, so we just say, hey, listen, man, you are a child of God. I see God doing all these things in you, and we build them up with the best of intentions, and I think that's wonderful, where we say, hey, listen, God's got his hand on your life, and he's going to do all these really, really great things in you, and you're going to blossom uh, into this wonderful Christian leader and all those things. And do you know what that 13, 15-year-old hears through their filter? Oh my gosh, I will never, ever, 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 ever match up to that. I will never achieve that. So many times they, they rebel. 
Because we're afraid to have that honest conversation with them to say, listen, here's the deal. I love you, and you are going to grow and mature into a great man or woman of God. But here's the reality. And this is what I wish we could do. Get about eight or ten godly people with you when you have that child. And, and, and I think you do need to call them up and say, God has his hand on your life. But then at the same time, you say, listen, here's the deal, bro. I love you. You're going to blow it. Big time. You're going to do some awful. You're going to do something embarrassing. So bad that if anybody were to find out, you would die. You think you would die. Well, you're not going to die. You're going to come to life. Okay? You don't have to live in that shame because all you do is when that happens, and look at me, we know it's going to happen. We know. We pray it doesn't, but we know. And when it does, you let me know, and we'll fight with you. Because we're not called to fight in the shadows, we'll fight in the light. Don't hide that sin. Don't feel like you've got to do, right? So we're not meant to fight in the shadows. You call me, I'll fight in the light with you because I love you and I'm for you. I'm for you. Let me put it a different way. To be 99% known is to be unknown. To be 99% known is to be unknown. Right, so let me, let, me, let me kind of tell you how that plays out, right? So you got it all going on, man. You are good teaching Sunday school, right? I mean, you, you are here. You, you are involved, right? And you just got this little 1%. I mean, that's pretty good. Just 1%, right? Right? And so you're able to kind of hide that one little thing way over here, right? And you come to church. You come to Sunday school. And, you know, people are like, how are you? Like, oh, I'm so, so good. I'm so good. Oh, life could not be better, brother. Yes, praise the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, I got my struggles, you know. I, I probably care too much, you know. <laughs> you know, I, I let things bother me sometimes just a little bit too much, you know what I'm saying? But I mean, everything else is good. Everything else is good. Here's the problem with that: is that when you're hiding that one percent, you are incapable of love and someone speaking things into your life because you can so quickly go, man, if they only knew, if they only knew this one percent over here. Everything that they think about me, everything that they say about me would vanish in a moment. If they knew this awful one little thing over here, if they knew, man, it would absolutely change everything. So we learn to defend it. We learn to defend it. And we project the same feelings that we think other people will think that God will think. We protect that wound. Now, let me tell you the difference between a wound and a scar, okay? A wound still hurts, you know? If somebody pokes you in a wound, you're going to punch them in the nose or recoil and back away. A scar, you're going to say, yeah, let me tell you about this. Okay, I was a very accident-prone kid. I have a lot of scars. And every scar has a story of something stupid that I did, right? And how wonderful doctors and physicians and my parents, you know, nursed me back to health. There's a story there. That story is your testimony. Those scars are your testimony. Don't hide them. Don't cover them up because they'll help people. But wounds will not heal. And Jesus loves this woman too much to allow that wound to continue to fester. So what seems like might be cruel in this moment is actually very kind. Because he's saying, listen, I, bring your husband. I don't have a husband. Yeah, I know. I've had five. The one here that's not. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it 
And let's get past it. Let's let it, let's let it heal. You know, I think it's an epic tragedy that the spot where Jesus wants to do his most significant work in your life and in my life, we spend so much time and energy hiding it. And it is crushing to us as Christians. It's crushing to us because God, Jesus says, listen, if you just let me in there, I want to heal that thing that you're hiding, that 1%, and I want to heal it. But you got to let me, you got to let me in there. Not only does she try to, um, you know, so, so, so we see that uh, now she's going to try a little misdirection, right? But you know, you can't misdirect God, you know, he stays in his lane, which is like all the lanes, right? And she says, uh, he calls her out and she says, oh, I see that you're a prophet. Which I think is a little understated, right? If you're sitting in a coffee with somebody and they just lay it out there and read your mail, you know, you're like, oh, you're a prophet, you know. Uh, she begins to throw up now and self-defend with theology and doctrine. Okay, now I'm a firm believer. I'm a fan of theology and doctrine and all those things. But it is my growing experience that when you go and, you, and Jesus tries to reach in and that sensitive place in your life where he wants to heal that you've been hiding so quickly. You ever notice how people get just rigid, right? And they, just, they go after some religious debate or they cling to some truth so rigidly that they begin to fall out of grace and mercy with God in that truth. And she says, well, since you're a prophet, I'm glad you're here. I want to ask you a question. Uh, our ancestors said to worship on this mountain, and the Jews say to go worship in Jerusalem. I mean, which is it? Which is important, right? Jesus obviously realizes what she's doing. And this is the worry, right? She has worries. She has questions. There are things that keep us up at night that we worry about. God, what are you really saying about this? What are you saying about that? What is, what is the truth? What do I... What do I cling to? And her worry is still true today. Is this true? Is that true? What is true? Now, it's really true that, 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 that uh, relevance has made its way into the church, right? Uh, in fact, Ligonier Ministries recently did a study, um, a very vast study, and this is what it said. This is going to shock you. I hope it shocks you, that 51% of evangelical Christians believe that God accepts the worship of all religions. I didn't say 51% of the population on earth. I said 51% of evangelical Christians that believe and read the same Bible that we're preaching out of this morning. Those people believe that God can just, he, he accepts all of them, right? So we're, we're living in an age and in a world where we say, you know what, just do what you feel. How you feel is okay, right? That truth is not definitive, right? When did that happen? Like when did, when did how I feel become absolute truth, right? Try, try that out. You say, I feel invincible. Try that out. <laughs> Go jump off the building, Mr. Invincible. 
I mean, when does that take place? Does that work for my five-year-old son? Because heaven help us all if that's true. If the way he feels is true reality. If it is, then the entire Western Hemisphere is going to be taken over by zombies in the next 48 hours. But Jesus realizes in this that her worry is true. Although feelings will fool you and they're real, they're they're often not very dependable upon truth, right? Truth is God. God is truth. Jesus says in verse 21, truth matters. Truth does matter. So he lays it out for her, right? Salvation, as you know, salvation will come from the Jews. That's what we know. But then it's a beautiful thing because there in verse 23, we see that Jesus is again working to establish a new kingdom, right? Cheryl, can you put verse 23 up for me? I want you guys to see this. So he turns it to the gospel. He says, yet a time is coming and it's here now. It's here now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. So he's saying, listen, there's going to come a time where, and it's coming, it's here, where you're going to worship me, you're going to worship the Lord where you are because the Holy Spirit is going to dwell inside of you. And going and gonna to live through you and order your life and your steps as you go. So as she tries to kind of maneuver away from her wound, Jesus answers the question. He says, you don't need to worry about that, those things. I understand you have those worries, but you don't need to worry about them. I'm here. And he's trying to get back to her wound, right? He, he addresses the wound. Do you want living water? Yeah, I want living water. Okay, great. Go get your husband. Well, I don't. I have a husband. This is hurt. This hurts. This is, this is a shameful place where I'm at. I don't want to talk about it. That's why I'm here at noon. And she tries to, you know, juke Jesus and misdirect him and say, well, hey, what about these, uh, uh, the, these doctrinal things, these theology questions and all this stuff? And says, okay, that's fine. We can talk about it. Yeah, Jesus says, hey, these things are true and they're important, but now let's get back to you. I'm here for you. I'm not going to give up and just let you take the easy route out. I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay with you because God is with you, not just above you, hovering over you, yelling at you. He is with you in it all, through it all. We're almost to the apex of our story here, and we see her. She tries to make like one more Hail Mary, right? And not like in the Catholic sense, but in the football sense. Right, where she says, yeah, well, you know, we can't really know until Jesus comes, and then he'll clear up all this stuff. And in a, in, in a gospel full, you guys have heard Pastor preach about this before, the seven I am's where Jesus is establishing who he is and his reign and dominion and his purpose He gives the first I am, not to Nicodemus, who is a religious leader and who has power and all those things, not as a a gift to his disciples, but to this broken, hybrid woman stuck in the middle of her sin 
an offer for grace, an offer of living water. Now, this verse right here should make it absolutely incontestable that the grace of God is dependent upon nationality, gender, or merit. Because this woman has repented of nothing yet. You read further, she does. But Jesus is offering her this free gift of grace. To say, you don't have to live like this. You don't have to live in this shame. The time is coming and the time is here now. Where the true worshipers will experience this grace that I'm giving. And they'll worship me in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. The free gift of God's grace is not tied to a person's past or their present. This story kind of dissolves any stupidity out there around who Jesus was and what his mission was. Right? We read in John 3, 17, he came not to condemn the world. He's not here to condemn you or me or your neighbor or your family or your coworker. No matter how far they are from God, he's not here to condemn them. He's here to save them through himself. And he's not going to leave you and he's not going to leave that wound alone. He wants you to let him in there and expose it. Now, let me be very clear. This is not like, you know, you leave service today and you're all high. And This is not a dear Facebook post, okay? Dear Facebook, over the past 20 years, I have been living a lot. I don't do that. Okay? Don't, don't do that. I don't want you coming back to me and saying, Oh, I did that, and I got this tsunami of shame and hate, and I trusted you. Okay, no. Don't do that. But you're not meant to fight in the shadows. You're meant to fight in the light together. In closing today, I have a visual. And I want to show you, I'm going to wrap this up. Because some of you guys may be like me. You're a visual learner. So let me just quickly explain grace, okay? This water, this is your life. This is your vessel. It's clear because nothing is hidden from God. God can see through it. He sees every detail. Nothing is hidden. You can't turn away. You can't turn your back. It's all there. And this is how you were born into this world. Eight pounds, three ounces. Naked as a jaybird. Loved by God. Perfect. But see, it didn't take long. It doesn't take long, and this is what happens. Okay? Quickly, this is what happens to us. Sin begins to enter in to us. Bad decisions, we learn to lie, cheat on a test, um, we argue with our parents. Somebody needs to be saying amen, right? Amen, right? We do all these things and we get all this sin in over time. And what happens is as we make these bad choices and these bad decisions, what happens is it just begins to get pushed down and stirred up in us. 
and it's all over. It's all over. Some of it goes down deeply into your life, into your soul, that it's so hard to even get down in there. And then this is what we try to do. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, it says that we are saved through faith, by, by grace through faith, not by works. But this is what we do. This is what we do. We sit here and we say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix this. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to get all this out, right? And you can get some of it out. You say, uh, I'm going to stop watching The Walking Dead, or I'm going to stop cussing, and I'm going to stop drinking. And we say, man, I feel pretty good. I feel pretty good. Yeah, I feel good about myself. And then we say, oh, man, there's just all these tiny little 1%, 2% particles in my life. And if you ever try to get something out of water, every time you grab it, what happens? It moves. Okay? It moves, and you cannot, you cannot shake it, and it gets exhausting. You go, I can't even get my hand down in the bottom of this glass to get all this out. It's impossible, Pastor. I'm never going to be whole again. So what's the point? Why keep doing this? And this is the offer that Jesus has. He says, listen, you are, you're focused on the wrong thing. You think that I want you to fix yourself. And we think that God wants us to make, clean ourselves up, make ourselves pretty, because He's pretty. He's that picture that's so otherworldly and so far above us, and, 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 and we, we can't even relate to Him. We have such a hard time seeing God in the struggle with us. And we say, I'm never going to make it. How do I do it? And we try, and we try, and we try, and we get exhausted. And I'm going to tell you something. There's only one way to get everything out of here. And that is, as you begin to pour that living water in, and you begin to overflow, and over time, as you continue to do it, you just keep pouring and keep pouring. Come on, church. Somebody get excited in this place today. You just keep pouring, and you keep pouring, and you keep pouring. And eventually... All the sin is flushed out. Not because, not because of anything you did, not because of a promise that you made, and you say, God, I'm going to make myself right because of the promise I'm going to make to you. No, God said, I'm going to make you right because of the promise that I made to you. Not any promise you made to me. If we could focus more on not how do I get the bad things out, but how do I get as much Jesus and grace because He's got more than enough for you and me. How do I get it in? And I promise you that you will see change begin to happen in your life if you will do that, church. If you will stop worrying about how do I fix this? And, and, and you know, you sit there and think, man, if I could just get up earlier and spend a little bit more time in God's Word, He'd love me more. Hey, that'd be great. But God's love and affection for you is not based upon that. I mean, how cheap do we think His love is? Oh, you haven't prayed. You haven't read, read your Bible in two days. No grace for you. And in fact, I mean, we laugh, but that's how we live. That's how we live. Oh, well, your marriage is not a picture of Christ in the church. So God can't use you, and He's not going to do anything into you, uh, through you and with you until you clean that nonsense up. It's not true. You look throughout Scripture. Pick your guy or gal. We think so many times, like, I come down, I say the prayer, 
okay? The Holy Spirit fills me. And you know what? All of a sudden, boom, new creation. Look at me. I'm shiny and pretty. I got it all together. That's not how it is. It's not how it is. Pick your guy or gal in the Bible. They learn slow. They mature slowly. And God is patient with them. Look at the life of David and you tell me that God is not with him and he is patient and he is for him, calling him on. Hey, don't quit. Keep coming. It's okay. I love you. You're going to make it through. No matter how many times you fall and screw up and mess up, I'm with you. They learn slow and they apply even more slowly. So, lay down that burden this morning and know that God is for you. He's not fed up with you. He's not going to leave you alone. He wants you to expose that wound to Him this morning and to let Him heal it. And let that wound become a scar and a story in your testimony today. And He is going to be with you. He is patient. He is kind. He is loving. He is slow to anger. He is quick to forgive. Abounding in love. And He knows everything about you. And He still chose you. He still chose you today, church. So in closing, would you bow your heads? And because this is a sensitive subject, I'm not going to ask anybody to get up and come down here or anything like that. But nobody's looking around except for me. And not because I want to know your business. I just feel like I want to pray for you this morning. If you say, Brandon, here's the, here, here's the reality. I've got a wound, a 1%, a 2%, a 5%, a 10%, something I've been hanging on for a month. I've been hanging on to for a, 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 a year, a decade, 40 years, and I'm tired of carrying it. And you say, you know what? That is me. I am ready to let God just pour His grace into my life and fill me to overflowing with joy, unspeakable joy. Would you pray for me and with me today so I can turn that wound to Jesus and let Him heal it? If that's you, would you just lift your hand here this morning? Amen. 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 Hands up all over the house. Hey, we are together. We are not alone. Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, Jesus, we love you today. Jesus, we are so thankful for your ministry. We are so thankful for your love, for your patience, for your grace. God, I pray that you would help us this morning. God, that you would meet us in our seat right where we are. God, as we turn over our past, our shame, our guilt, that we don't have to carry it with us any longer. God, that you would take it from us. And that you would let living water flow up into eternal life. And let us have the kind of life that you always envisioned for us to have and always wanted for us to have. Let us walk in the light and step out of the shadows today. God, I thank you for what you're doing in the lives of your people this morning. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in this church. And God, I pray 
for goodness and mercy and grace to flow in the lives of these church members all the days of their lives. Now, Lord, we love you today. We give you our best praise, God, because you are worthy, because you are for us, because when we were broken and fractured and far from you, you came for us, and you are still here with us today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. Can you give him praise this morning, church? Amen. In closing today, can we just stand and sing with Ashley, Amazing Grace? Just as I, let's sing, and then once we're done, you are free to dismiss, you're free to stay and pray. But I pray that God goes with you and that you have a wonderful week. If you are visiting with us, please come back next week and hear our senior pastor, Pastor Jerry Irwin. I love you. Thank you so much for your time today. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, amazing love, now flowing down from hands and feet that were nailed to as grace folds down and covers me and it covers me and it covers me and it covers me, and it Yeah.